a very good course. I'm excited. Tell me how many people? It's tiny, which is why it's going to be good because the smaller courses give lots of creative freedoms. Mm-hmm. So it's what, 10, you said nine? Or 11, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, those are the easiest and the hardest because they're so intimate that people ask questions and you get into the weeds and then you get overhead and then you get back down in the weeds and everybody can follow you because you're all right there. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm excited for it. Some of my favorite courses have been the small ones because Mm -hmm. of, yeah, the conversations, the troubleshooting, there's an organic environment that happens. The big classes are fun because they're big and you stay on track and you don't deviate from the script because you have to, because it's so big. So both are good, but I found that the feedback from the courses that are small are always like so great because I know as an attendee, I love being at the small courses because of that environment, because you can mm-hmm. actually talk to the instructor. By the end of the course, the instructor knows your name, knows yes. it, right? Yeah. Without being like the crazy person in the front row that asks a thousand questions. Yes, which is usually me too. Me. Yeah. And and can I come? Of course. If I, if I sit in the back and I don't make any noise. Okay, we have an audience of how many, 20 and a recording. I don't think it's possible that you'll just sit in the back and not make any noise. This is probably true. We have two trainees, our first two trainees at the training center this week. Great. And I only see three patients a day. And one of the patients is one of the trainees. Oh. So they had their, we had our first Zoom meeting with Candace Elliott. And Candace is the one that sent out the intimidating and wonderful and appropriate and easy, all the links to all the stuff that you need to turn what you do in practice into a publishable case report. And what I found myself doing just accidentally Monday and Tuesday with every patient we saw was collecting data because objective before and after. So you measure somebody's range of motion, you do their sensation, you do their reflexes, then you treat them. And then you redo the range of motion, the reflexes and the sensation. And the patient knows they went from 60 to 75 degrees And it's not just my pain went from a six to a two. There's actually objective findings. So this morning when we did the Zoom with Candace, I figured I'd just sit there and listen. That didn't work. But it turned out that just working with the trainees during the day it ended up demonstrating without knowing that I was going to do that, objective findings. That's funny because last week I went solo. And when I hear I'm on my own, to me, that just translates into excuse to create PowerPoint. So I had put together some of my favorite case studies that I had presented at symposiums throughout the year and the ones that were the game changers in my practice and for me as a practitioner. And I must have repeated that a hundred times in that hour of do your pain and range of motion pre-treatment pain and range of motion and whatever else reflexes sensation, whatever else, like I said, your objective findings are, because at the end of the day, those are the metrics we have to show success as practitioners, success in the modalities that we use and for the patients to, to have that success as they leap, which is going to be my segue into the word of, and the theme of today. We have a theme and a word. I'm so excited. We always do, by the way. I'm ready. Sometimes I just never get a chance to say it. It's really wonderful that you keep trying, though. I'm so (laughs) proud. I am persistent. You know that. And that's not the word of the day. The word of the day today is belief. Oh. Okay. What do you believe in? I believe in a lot of things and my belief is it grows every year that I'm on this planet. I've gone from the skeptical little know-it-all in my twenties to a very open-minded late 40 year old. Oh yeah. 
It gets better as you get older too, just in case. Great. Yeah. You'll love it. I I had the, the privilege of interviewing one of my old college professors last week for my podcast. Oh, he was the, the practitioner, the osteopathic practitioner that explained sacral torsions to me in a way that I could understand it after I failed my biomechanics exam on sacral torsions. And it was the first exam I'd ever failed in my entire life. Oh, what a shock. That would get your attention. In college. Yeah. Yeah. And it shattered my belief in everything. And he helped rebuild my belief system and my knowledge. And because I failed so miserably, it became the one area of biomechanics that I know the best now. Oh, yeah. Always. That's how it works. You just, especially if you have a competitive spirit. Uh, Okay, that's a good way to put it. (laughs) Or a bit of a um, bit of malice, maybe I'll show you. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the first time I took physics at Santa Clara, I got a complimentary D because I had wandered into a physics for scientists and engineers class. So physics for scientists and engineers class at one of the best engineering schools in the country. So I did, I got the D because I never scored higher than a 46 on any exam. And I did over, did and handed in over 250 extra problems, but I never learned to think mathematically. So when I did pre-med here in Portland, I was determined. So I went to my physics teacher's office hours five days a week. And after about the first three or four weeks, he said, am I your private tutor? And it's, I don't see anybody else here. And you are a physics teacher and I'm a physics student. And yeah, actually you are my private tutor. So my average in that class average was 97 or 98. And I did the problems until my hand knew how to do them. But more importantly, I learned how to think by listening to him and seeing how he was able to turn equations and math over in his head. Oh, and so sacral torsion, I actually don't even know what that means. Well, but it's three-dimensional spatial and odd that you should mention that because in the last two weeks, I've seen two torn SI joints after not seeing one in, I don't know, 10 years. One of them was an upper and a lower joint and one was just an upper joint. So I got to remember how to tape them. And I knew how to tape them because I've had both of my SI joints, one of them torn twice, one of them torn once. When you come this weekend, we'll go over that in the course. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so much to unpack just there. But belief is where I wanted to... Yeah, to how does that um, relate to belief? It shook my belief that I had never failed anything. So all of a sudden I was self-doubting absolutely everything, which took me into the little tornado of despair. Yeah. And I had tried every which way to learn this biomechanics sequence. And I had tried to memorize it. And that's what got me in trouble. Oh, never. It's never. No. You have to. And again, this has come like such full circle in 25 years of you have to learn how to think about it. Understand why it's happening. And once you get that, the light bulbs and the opportunities and the vision that you get is, it's overwhelming almost. I was in college in the late 90s. This is before all the fantastic 3D software that we have now to show anatomy and biomechanics. Obviously, we're learning on ourselves. We're learning in textbooks. And we had skeletons. And our skeleton team was George, actually. No way. That's so cute. 
I was the kid that was there early, that was staying late, just so I could get George by myself and try to understand when I flexed his spine, how does his pelvis and sacrum move? And I didn't get it. But Randy comes and he's like, why are you crying? Because I was like weeping in the student lounge one morning. And I'm like, I'm never going to understand sacral mechanics. And I'm halfway through this program. And if I don't get it, I'm never going to get it. And I felt like that Sesame Street character on Sesame Street that like plays the piano and he's, I'll never get it. And then he slams his head on the keyboard. And Kim, come here. And he grabbed a pie plate and he taped two straws on it. And he's, this is a left on left. This is a left on right. Here's the multifidi. Here's the piriformis. And the SI is here. And here's the ischium. Oh, I get it now freaking pie plate and two straws taped to it was all the difference in the world. And my belief system changed. And here I am later teaching the stuff. So it's amazing. But where I want to go, and these are the patients that I've seen in the last two weeks, especially, they are holding on to a belief about their condition that is a lot of the times incorrect. So this is what I wanted to unpack with you is when we have patients that have a belief system, how we as practitioners can facilitate change that belief system, drill a little hole in it and let them know that they're not locked into this. And let's start with that. And then I'll go with the other big topic that I have. We had a patient over the last two weeks who she came in and she was a work comp patient from a fall. So she fell, landed on her right side and had full body pain. She said, I have myofascial pain and her pain diagram was 40 and 10. And I have fibromyalgia. So we looked at the tender points. She didn't have any that were tender to less than four pounds per square inch pressure, but she had the full body pain. She slept fine. She exercised every day for at least an hour. She meditated. She'd been doing the tapping thing. And I had to explain to her that she had myofascial pain, but she didn't have fibromyalgia because of what she had done. And that very first day, she was so angry. I ran 970 and 35 for. 30 or 40 minutes on her because of the way she'd been treated by the work comp. And 35 is anger, resentment? Yeah, 970 and 35 is the liver and that's anger. Yeah. So just to neutralize the anger because the work comp system. But over the week, as the body pain came down and as we started treating the individual areas, there was a very strange thing with her when you asked her, what does it feel like? I don't know. It, it moves. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Normally, my IME brain goes to emotional overlay. We ran 40 and 89 all the time. So by the last day, her legs felt heavy. Her pain was a one. But she couldn't describe how her legs felt. We left the room to go program or custom care. So because the belief that patients have who are stuck in that system or stuck with chiropractors who treat them three times a week forever, stuck with PTs that, or anybody that says, I have to do this to you. Yeah. But she was not sure of what her symptoms were. So we walked out of the room to go program our custom care and she got a custom care. I said, so you will have power. You're going to do these exercises. You've got three disc bulges in your neck. You're, I don't care what the guy said. You're not going to need surgery. You do these exercises. You do these exercises for your low back and use the custom care and you have power. Yes. So we walked out to program it. We walked back in and she said, now I know. So we had to leave the room and then come back in for her to know what she was feeling. So the two trainees left the room 
And I'm standing there after I dispensed the custom care, showed her what was on it. And I said, most of the time, people that have this difficulty believing in themselves were adult children of alcoholics or lived in a difficult or abusive household. But you didn't have that. She said, no, my dad was wonderful, but my mom was German and super critical. And when I did something she didn't like, she'd indicate disapproval and then leave the room and not talk to me or tell me what it was that I did wrong. And she wouldn't talk to me for two to three days. And this is from the time she was little. And I looked at her and said, so you learned not to believe in yourself? Yeah. And I said, is your mother still alive? No, she died three years, 10 years ago or something. And I said, so you're doing to yourself what your mother did to you? And it was like this light bulb came on in her head. So what I would have thought of as this is weird, emotional overlay. What do you mean you don't know if your legs hurt or not? And it wasn't that. It was that she didn't, she was taught her whole life not to believe in herself, not to be in her body or not to believe what she thought. She was so afraid of making a mistake. What if I say my pain's a five and this doctor is going to say, oh no, it's a something. What if I'm wrong? And it happened 10 minutes before she left the clinic. So I made her go out at the exit There's a little card that says everything is going to be okay. So I made her take a picture of that. And then I made her go in the bathroom and take a picture of the poster we have that says, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Yeah. I said, now you look at those. You're going to recover. You're not going to need surgery everything's going to be okay. And she just floated out of there. Her pain was gone. She believed in herself. She believed in her capacity to recover. So there. See, your stories always match my theme, whether you know it or not. Um, What I think is important to discuss is that you talked about power, giving patients their power back. And I think that is such a critical element in healing, regardless if you're treating a patient who's been in chronic pain or an elite athlete that needs to come back, there is a certain level of anxiety that patients will bring to the table because they have felt powerless against their injury and their recovery. Yep. And one of the things that I I do try to convey to patients is they have a lot more power than they may have been led to believe that they do. And I think a lot of practitioners, and you've alluded to that, who say, you're going to have to come see me three times a week. And without me, you're never going. It's amazing what a lot of my athletes get. Oh, it's terrible. It's just Because of the ego, right? The ego that's in a lot of these practitioners. Without me, you're never going to heal. I am going to fix you. It's oh. Yeah, or you will never heal without this. And that becomes a belief system, right? That these patients have. One of the belief systems that I had to work on detoxing, I guess, for lack of a better term with one of my patients is he was a new patient and he brought this very concerned look to his face, apprehensive, anxious, angry demeanor. And then when we talked a little, when I did all the assessment and we went through the history and it was time to move over to the table for the treatment, he was it just like people who are listening, his face was scrunched up. His shoulders were up around his ears, got very tense. I'm like, is this, talk to me right now about what's going on. And this is going to hurt, isn't it? And I'm like, no. Why would it's it hurt? Treatment should never hurt. 
And I saw, and he listed off some very good, he saw some very well-known practitioners who do some very well-known techniques that Mm -hmm. in tissue trauma and pain. That's all I'm going to say about that. Cross fiber friction, elbows, that slide that we have that says no. Exactly. Yeah. And then you could probably add a 10 more other modalities. Sorry. Just all the things. And I love foam rollers for certain things, but I, the belief that he had that treatment was going to hurt was. Oh, poor baby. Yeah. And so I had to say a few times during the treatment, but I wrote it down so I wouldn't fumble it. I am here to help facilitate healing with you to the best of my ability. And yeah. Saying those words that we were a team that we're going to work together to facilitate healing to the best of our ability. And he was like, so am I not going to feel anything? I'm like, you definitely won't feel the FSM as a TENS machine or however you think you're going to feel electricity. Whatever you feel will be your experience. And I can promise you it won't cause pain. There's certain things you can promise patients, right? And I said, what I'm going to do with my hands is going to help facilitate healing and it will never cause you pain. And don't you need to rip apart the scar tissue? And I'm like, the scar tissue will dissolve and heal in a very pleasant way. And my hands and what I do with the manual therapy treatment will also feel good. Oh, (laughs) And that look is like very confused. On very the- confused. Yeah. And then that confused look continues when the treatment actually starts. And there, he was searching. And I'm like, what are you looking for? And he's, I'm looking for the pain. I'm looking for the shock. I'm looking for the zap. I'm like, I told you, you're not going to feel that stuff. And I'm then like, we hook up a second machine that's 40 and 89, yes. 40 and 10. And if it does hurt, you just put on... 40 and 396. So treat the cord, treat the central sensitization. And when it hurts, you just dissolve the scar tissue between the nerve and the fascia. So I won't even use the word hurt or pain. So I'll use a term that I learned in college and it was therapeutic discomfort. Oh, I'm like, you let me know if there's any kind of therapeutic discomfort that we're creating and we have frequencies and I have techniques to help mitigate that. Oh, so there's like a safety that I think a lot of patients are searching for more so than pain reduction. Yeah, this is something that's unique to FSM. Yes. If it hurts, something's wrong in the choice that I've made. And when the patient's afraid of it, worked on a patient that had open heart surgery for a septal defect when she was four months old. And so we worked on, in her second session, we worked on the scar tissue in her chest, intercostal nerves, because her chest was all forward. Intercostal nerves, scarring in the cartilage, scarring in the periosteum. But knowing that this surgery was done When she was four months old, the first machine I hooked up was from neck to feet with 40 and 89, right? And then back to front. So 40 and 89 is just to reduce central sensitization because when she's four months old, her hippocampus is for sure, her hippocampus is going to remember that she could have died. It hurt a lot, especially when she woke up. And then it hurt afterwards. So her hippocampus is totally sensitized to anybody messing with her chest. So we just mitigate that. And by running 40 and 89, we have tools that allow us to mitigate, it's a good word, change the hippocampus's belief that treatment to this area is dangerous, painful, scary. And what I wanted to bring to this is we talk a lot about the hippocampus and the amygdala getting paid to remember the traumatic event that caused the pain. But I, that's why I think there's also that side of patients who are remembering 
or have that component that treatment also caused pain that therapy do you know what I mean so like sometimes layers of that belief system that it wasn't just the car accident or the sporting event that caused the pain it was also this place that they went and it makes me sad when I walk through it the people that they put faith and belief in to help heal them caused more pain and trauma it's just you're right it just makes your heart hurt right it does. I'm sorry that you run into everybody else before you run into me. Yes. Then you can say to a patient, people don't find me by mistake. And nothing you have scares me. Because of the tools I have. And it's okay and completely reasonable if you don't believe me. There's no reason you should, given what you've been through. So we'll just go through this together. Isn't that wonderful? I get goosebumps. No, I know. And I, again, just going back to this very intimate, and you talked about this a couple advanced ago when you wrote the, what I don't tell you or what I didn't tell you. Yeah. And that also the first time I read it hit me like, like a cannon right in my gut because there is something so intimate about a treatment that you share with a patient when you're using FSM and your intentions are to help facilitate healing that you can't explain. You can't explain that, that change that occurs. And when you're able to, I would love to hear it or read it. You get close to it, but it's still as beautiful as what you wrote still doesn't encompass what really happens in that room. No, because it's different. There's no recipe that's different for every patient. It's different for every therapist. So I'm ridiculously intuitive and a psychologist. So I was a marriage and family counselor for 10 years and then did a lot of therapy for myself on myself. So I think about emotions and trauma differently than people that haven't had the kind of physical and emotional background that I've had. So I've been injured so many times. And so I have a history of, yes, you get injured and then you recover because I just happen to find therapists. So there's no recipe. And what I remember, so I did that. What I didn't tell you was right after you did this, to me right and so I was weepy anyway when I went up to do the lecture and what I remember from looking at the audience as I did that lecture was Tammy Waller-Lee sobbing in the second row and more than I'd say 25% of the audience in tears because we have the tools that help people recover without pain most of the time or when we can't get there. It's just, this is a management problem and this is how we are going to manage it. We have an opportunity for intimacy and compassion and a therapeutic interaction that is unique in medicine. Yeah. You take somebody that's been in pain for 17 years or 12 years or seven years and abused by either the system or the therapist, and you get them out of pain in 10 days or four weeks or six weeks, and then you have to go with them as they are furious at the people that couldn't help them in the last 12 years and it's yep you have every right to be angry and what did you learn the only way I can keep my sanity doing this is these things injuries recovery therapists whatever come into our life to teach us something so what did you learn in 12 years And they look at you like, so are you more compassionate now that you've been in a wheelchair? Do you look differently on the, now that you're walking, 
you look differently at the guy that's in the wheelchair. Oh, yeah. And then you learned that the world is not going to come to an end and you're not a bad person if you can't take out the trash and mop the floor. And then you lead them through that change in perspective. What's the word? There's a word for it. It's change in perspective. But there's a tidier, tighter phrase for it. Anyway, and then you get, we get to shift them into believing in themselves and in a new future. Yes, to all the things. You always give me so much to unpack with your very profound statements. <laughs> and you, when you first said the word belief, it's like, it's not right. belief, it's data. And I was all going to, yeah, I like where the train is going. But again, okay, I can make that parallel very easy for people to believe it. We do need the data and the objective findings. That is what yes. solidifies the belief that our treatment was effective, regardless of the emotional component that they bring to it. Um, before we answer any questions, I wanted to bring in, just to bring on to this, the universe has given me a lot of duos lately. And what I mean by duos is a patient that brings a person into the treatment room with them. Oh, so it's good news, sometimes bad news. Totally. So a lot of times I do see a lot of teenagers that young athletes that bring a parent in and mm. that can, yes, who can mm. it can be very tricky because the patient, the teenager I'll start with teenagers for a minute, has a belief system, has a story to tell about the injury. And a lot of times it's very conflicting when the parent starts talking about the injury, the sequence of events. So sometimes as a practitioner, we're unpacking two suitcases at the same time, trying to figure out, it's almost like a bad breakup. Like he said, she said, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. So a lot of times, I don't care if the patient is eight or 18, I'm talking to the patient, you tell me the story of what happened. Why are you here? How can I help you? What do you hope to get from treatment? And then the parent will start. And I'm like, if you don't mind, I'm just going to let them tell their story. And then I'm happy to listen to your side as well. Because you're much more diplomatic than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Here's some kinesio tape. I'm just going to try it on your mouth real quick. (laughs) I actually threatened one mom with that. The son was there and mom is explaining what's wrong with the kid. And the kid looks at the mom and starts arguing with her. And then mom says something Then the kid argues with her. And I said, wait, stop you. And I'm pointing at this. I think he was eight or 10 pointing at this kid, like right in his chest, in his face. I said, this is an arrangement between you and me. If the only reason you're here is to prove that your mom is wrong and to argue with mom, then you guys can leave right now. But if you are here to get better, you recovering is between you and me. And then mom started talking and I looked at her and I said, I do have tape in the cupboard. <laughs> and she just went back it's, to the pit. So it's the not- same story. It's hard. I do think there is valuable information that we can get from other people, especially with athletes, because, and I even put this in the sports course, because when they're playing a game, they really don't have any idea of the sequence of events. They're concentrating on the puck, the ball, and they don't always know what side they got hit. And how they got hit and how hard and how they landed. And the parent has valuable information, but your contract is with the patient. That's right. And it's a, honestly, it's the same thing with when couples come in. Yeah. Adult partners, the dynamics that you get to see are pretty fascinating. It is, it's hilarious. And I do, those are the other duos that I get. I treat a lot of husband and wives that come together and you've been at my clinic. I have a really cute little downtown location. So a lot of times they come in from not necessarily out of state, but definitely out of the area. They come together and they'll go for lunch or coffee, but they'll come in together and they'll, the person that goes first will unpack the next person's story. Say, oh, before she starts with you, I have to tell you, she's been blah, 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 blah. And then the other person comes in and they're like, oh, they probably didn't tell you, but blah, 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 blah. And it's like they try to like snitch on each other. You've been doing your exercises or so it's really interesting how much information you can get from duos. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, really, 
So let's go to Jane's question before we go any further here, because I think that was the first one. Jane, 91-year-old man with cervical lymph node swelling reaction due to getting flu and COVID vaccine same day, different. Oh, serious. Okay. Swelling on the flu shot side sure. only over several weeks, developed sore throat, earache, full sinuses, and was given two types of antibiotics for 10 days with no improvement. Oh, dear. Throbbing pain in head, neck, chest, shoulder. Wondering if triggered shingles recurrence, which he fears and believes. That was in quotes. Well done, Jane. Any difference in how to treat viral occurrence triggered by vaccines rather than treating as if a normal occurrence of the virus? I'm considering at least the frequencies for malignant virus and shingles. And today's decision makes me think also using emotional for fear. Any other ideas? Good one. The other thing that I do, number one, shingles is very specific to a nerve root. So if he believes it's shingles and you use a pinwheel and it's not, it's more than one nerve root, then it's not shingles. The other thing, oh, where'd you go? The other thing is COVID, the six flu respiratory frequencies that we had in the COVID protocol, I'd use those in the vagus and that helps relieve the fear and then I have to go back and look at where his symptoms it's on the answer sorry I clicked done by accident if you yeah. go to the answer tabs shoot it's right there I don't know if Kevin can help oh there it is at the very okay. top yeah yeah so it's head neck chest and shoulder throbbing pain head neck chest and shoulder Different arms swelling on the flu side only. Sore throat, earache. So I'd run the, if two types of antibiotics for 10 days, no improvement means it's viral. So I'd run the six virus frequencies in the vagus, in the pharynx. Earache. That's the eustachian tube. And then the two sinuses. It's definitely not. And then treating fear would be another good thing, but also treating the vagus for the viruses. When vaccines are basically an artificial virus, you get little bits of the bugs and it stimulates, or it's like an artificial infection. So the vagus is turned off by infection, stress, and trauma. So you get a vaccine, you get an artificial infection and that quiets the vagus because the vagus tells the midbrain oh infection is here the brain then comes down and turns down the vagus and when the vagus is turned down inflammation in the brain goes up and inflammation in the brain creates anxiety and depression so that's where I'd go with that. And yeah, good luck treating family members. I'll let you take that one. You've done more of that than I have, I think. It can be fantastic and it can be terrible. And going back to the instructor that I had 25 years ago, when you we needed to log hours of manual therapy treatments, right? You had to just touch bodies and treat bodies and log it. And he would say, do not use family members as part of your treatments because- I love your instructor. I know he was fantastic. And I was just like, I'm not going to start touching strangers. He's you better start touching strangers because you're never going to get a positive outcome treating family members. And he was right. It was so true. So yeah, really hard to treat. I do treat my kids and I do treat my husband. I am the exception to the rule. They do come to mom first and going back to the belief just really quick. My daughter that was recovering from ACL surgery we were putting video together. She's going to be a senior in high school next year. So we're on the whole like college recruitment path like right now. It's very exciting, very scary. But I was watching early footage of her practices and I was talking to a mom who was, her daughter had multiple injuries also. They're the same age. And she said, why doesn't your daughter skate scared? There's no fear. And there never was. Like the minute she hit the ice, it was confident, blew me away. My belief 
was changed because I figured she was going to be scared. But the very first frequency that touched her post-operatively was 4089. Yep. She woke up. Yep. Thank you. I'm so proud. That's so outstanding. And that's, that is true. That is my belief is that she had intuitive, inherent confidence that this was going to be okay. There was nothing to be afraid of. This was fine. And that's because, as you said, it's time for the limbic system to take a nap. Just go sit in the corner and do something else. Yeah, because this is going to be fine. It's going to be fine. 1489. Yeah. And there's honest to goodness, I don't think there's anybody else on the planet that can do it as quickly. So I have one patient, these patients that was doing, I can't remember the initials, some sort of quiet the limbic system. It'll take a year, but you'll be fine. And it's okay. You can do that, but I will do this too. You can keep doing your thing, but we'll just do this. And she passed out when I ran quiet the limbic system. Because you can get it done in eight days, what any other methodology takes a year to do. And yeah, you're right. There are a lot of modalities and I think they all have their time and place. And I love layering different treatments and complementing everything to the best of our abilities. But to be able to do it in real time like that, I think is such a crucial component. And as I'm learning more and more about just the power of what we do and being really dialed into the patient and unpacking their belief system and holding space for that during the treatment, that this is their reality. This is their belief system of what's occurring. And I would have to respect that and acknowledge that and accept that in order. What's that saying? You can't heal what you don't feel. Yeah. So I think as practitioners, like we have to have a respect for that. And so having them explain changes and you do such a good job of that saying like, how does that feel to you? Instead of projecting, does that feel better? Or how's the pain? No. How does, how do you feel now? Can you explain what you're feeling to me? And a lot of times it is that searching, right? They're searching for, they're searching for the pain, I think first. And I think they're also searching for their words. Because maybe I don't understand how it isn't hurting. I feel as if I should be in pain, but I'm not. And so that that's when I'll sometimes interject. Is it the absence of pain that you're searching for? And or you're trying to explain? They're like, yeah, it just I don't know if I can connect it right now. And I'm like, that's okay. You don't have to connect it right now. And having them sit up, having them stand, having them start to move. And I've been incorporating, and you'll see this in the sports course, here's another little like prequel to it. Certain positive affirmations or mantras while they're standing. How do you feel now? I feel really strong. Good. Say that one more time, just in your head with a nice deep breath. I am strong. And saying that with 4089 running and then the other stuff that we do with repatterning. <laughs> So somebody that has had their chest like this scarred into in the shoulders forward and the chest scarred forward. And then 1489 for the entire hour I'm working on her chest. And then I was about to have her get up and went, oh, wait, put her back down and ran increased secretions in the cerebellum Mm -hmm. and then had her contract lower trapezius because the next question they have to answer is who am I now yes how do I move this now that it's not like it was an hour ago that one of our challenges is that we change reality we change the way the tissue is so fast it's a challenge to the brain right Sometimes I catch myself saying, don't worry, I'll get you caught up. Don't <laughs> because it does like what you, the tissue change that happens in an extremity doesn't normally happen that fast. It's impossible for someone's nervous system to be caught up to speed. It's like watching a video and then it buffers for a bit. It's all like slow and sketchy. And, it's, and then it just <laughs> goes really fast to get you caught up. And I feel that's almost like what happens with us. And that's the other thing I have patients do that I didn't realize it's why I was doing it. 
The other thing I have patients do is, okay, reach up and feel your neck with your hand. It's, wait, it's, oh, it's soft. It doesn't hurt. How did, what? And so what I was telling the two people that were there for training is it's important to have the patient touch their own neck. That's the beginning of introducing their sensory and motor cortex to the new way that they are is by finding it out with their own hand. So a patient with a biceps tendonitis for 12 years. So I ran 124 and that's how I found out it was the biceps and not a different muscle, not the deltoid, was 77 didn't work. And the only round tendon where her fingers were was the biceps. So I ran on one machine, just 124 and 191, while we worked on her neck for 45 or 50 minutes. And then she did that with her neck and said, oh my God, where's that really tight? Wow, that doesn't hurt. And they said, oh yeah, by the way, feel your shoulder. And she went, her fingers went looking all over. From My fingers know where the sore spot is and it's not there. Right, yes. It's the coolest thing. What I think is so cool is that cerebellum and diaphragm are the same frequency. Yeah, what's up with that? Breath and movement are always intertwined. Oh, fair enough. There's my profound statement of the day. That's what I think it's just fascinating. Anyways, sometimes I'm in treatment and I just, and the patient's like, why, what are you thinking about? I'm like, how am I doing what I'm doing actually? (laughs) Yeah, it's like. How does this even work? It's like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. And then the patient gets stoned. That's even more fun. Oh, yeah. While they're stoned, you have the ability to implant information. Yes. And it's feel, how does that feel that? Bring your hand up and feel that. And wow. And they're just like, they're so stoned, they can't talk, but they can. And that way, the information goes straight into the subconscious. I have a very cool duo who I treat the husband. The wife is extremely energetically sensitive and her and I, it's funny because she'll be like, no, that's not working. And I'm like, give it a second. And then (laughs) I don't really know how to explain how I feel. I wouldn't suggest that I'm very energetically sensitive, but I just, I guess have belief in patience sometimes and letting the frequencies catch up. Catch up. Exactly. Exactly. And then I'll look over at her and she'll be in the chair. She'll be like, whoa. <laughs> and then the guy on the table, he's just like, you two are having fun. I'm like, it'll work just a second. So sometimes the duo is like super funny. Gosh. Yeah. So let's go to a couple more questions here. So somebody wrote, is it safe to use FSM on a person with a deep brain stimulator? Number one, you're not using it on the skull. Yeah. And as far as I know, because the current and the frequencies are so low, yeah, that deep brain stimulators are really well shielded against EMF signaling. Sure. Because yeah. you can't have them firing or going haywire every time somebody goes through an automatic door opener. Yeah. So... I've treated only a few patients with DBS, with deep brain stimulators, and you just make sure that the current, the wrap is on the neck and on the chest. Yeah. And that should be okay. If you're nervous about it, put it on the abdomen and just make sure it doesn't touch the ears. That would be my, and if the patient is afraid or yeah, if it's, It should be fine. (laughs) Yeah, never had one. And then the other one was pressure sores, tibia fracture. Pressure sores on a tibial fracture? That's all it said. From the cast? Pressure sores from the cast? It's on the answered. Pressure sore, tibia fracture. That's all. So we'll see what they... Okay, pressure sores are just use wound healing. It's pressure sores are caused by vascular compression. Yeah. And yeah, so it's just, it's wound healing and you'd be amazed at the number of times I've used hypoxia in this last week. Tibia fracture is 
uh, it really depends on how badly or how well it was stabilized and treated. And it's just acute fracture for six weeks or until it's healed or it looks like it's healing. Collapsible two. What is this? It's segmental dystopia from Parkinson's in his 40s. Oh, you're kidding. The patient is person with the deep brain stimulator. Segmental dystopia. I, dystopia, I'm not sure is correct. But from Parkinson's in his 40s with a sudden onset after a vaccination. So find out what he was vaccinated for. If it was a flu shot, then use all of the flu frequencies from the flu respiratory protocol. And you use those flu virus frequencies. Yeah, you use the flu virus frequencies on the basal ganglia and on the vagus. And probably I'd do it on the cerebellum and the medulla as well, because if you look at the, and this is just from the advanced, if you look at the pathways from the sensory motor cortex through the basal ganglia to the cerebellum, to the medulla, to the cord, you just have to follow the spark. Yeah. And it's, so it's six virus frequencies and, and then the brain parts and maybe the blood supply, I would say capillaries mostly I wouldn't waste time on arteries because there's not much in the way of big arteries that cause a problem the basal ganglia is sizable lentil and so it's blood supplies capillaries so yikes yeah okay then that is a conclusion for today look at that it's four o'clock my I have a very cool quote though oh good I love your quotes Learn to trust the journey even when you do not understand it. Oh, t- absolutely true. That's the belief, yeah. right? Practitioner yeah, trust, because trust the journey. Trust it, the journey. You always tell me that, right? Trust the forest, Luke. And I'm just like, trust the forest, Luke. I know. Learn to trust the journey even when you don't understand it. Yeah. It's like, even with going circumventing right back to the beginning, even with the failures, and fail stands for first attempt at learning. There's that lesson there, always. And you just learn to trust that whatever is here in front of you is a positive experience, yes. whether you understand it or not. Yes. Yeah. I like and that. I get to see you in 48 hours. I'm so excited. This is so cool. So cool. Is it Friday night? Yes. Yeah. Because we yeah. get to set up the clinic. This is our first sports core in Trotto. First of many, I think. I think. I suspect. Yes. Great. So I will see you Friday and everybody will see you guys next Wednesday. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.